So you're going to answer me. D R E A M E R S Dreamer Don't give up Dreamer A luchar Go dreamer, go dreamer, go dreamer, loba Go dreamer, go dreamer, go dreamer, go back Let's go dreamer A luchar Golden bridges from the south, from the north, from the east, from the west, from the plain, to the eagle, flying high, with the wind, with the pipe, con el humo de la paz. luchar si se puede vamos a ganar oh yes we can si se puede si se puede dreamer don't give up Go dreamers, go dreamers, go dreamers, go Go dreamers, go dreamers, go dreamers, loba. Good morning. My name is Laura Solomon. I'm your clergy intern. Welcome to the Washington Ethical Society. My pronouns are she, her, and hers. I'm so glad you're here this morning. And visitors and guests, we hope that you got a blue name tag so we can welcome you and answer any questions you might have. We love talking about why this community is so important to us, and we'd like to hear what you're looking for. We hope you'll join us after the platform service for waffles in the lobby and the social hall. Also, please consider sharing your email with us on the gold sheet found at the welcome table so we can stay connected. You can drop that sheet in the collection basket as it passes later in the platform services. I want to remind you to please silence your electronic devices so that you can be fully present this morning, although we'd love it if you could check in on social media first. Amanda, do you want to come up and do an announcement? I do, and actually that is a great segue for the person I'm about to introduce. Um, so I want to let folks know that for the first time with us this Sunday, we have Andrea Perry Lerner. Andrea is with us as our remote seat consultant, I think is what we're calling it. It's a mouthful. Um, she's gonna help and support our SEEK program with leadership and kind of administrative oversight and also really help the whole community as we prepare to, for the uh, hiring process to bring in um, a permanent director of lifelong learning. Andrea has a long career as a religious educator as well as working for the region for the Unitarian Universalist Association and she loves posting on social media. 
Um, so that's why I felt like a really good segue. So Andrea, we're so delighted to have you here with us this morning. Please feel free to, in fact, please do introduce yourself to Andrea and um, go ahead and share your vision for SEEK if you'd like to. I'm sure she's starting to collect those and, and think about them. It's also warm in here, right? Yeah, so um, I've got the fans on, but if it's possible to check and see, I'm not sure if our heat is on, so somebody's going to just take a look at that. Thank you all so much um, for bearing with us and rolling up sleeves. Awesome. Welcome, Andrea. Thank you, Amanda. And I'd like to invite Ross Wells to read our statement of purpose so that we might hear our shared values in each other's voices. Ross is part of the immigration team, um, which is relevant and important work in society and in today's service in particular. hear me? The Washington Ethical Society is a humanistic congregation that affirms the worth of every person. We strive through our relationships to elicit the best in the human spirit. With faith in human goodness, we appreciate each person's unique capacities. We joy joyfully celebrate together and support each other through life. We nurture a sense of reverence and responsibility for each other and the earth. We invite you to join our community of children and adults as we work for a wor world where love and justice cross all borders. Thank you, Ross. As Ross lights our community candle, I invite you all to join me in our candle lighting words. May we kindle within us the warmth of compassion, the light of understanding, and the fire of commitment to build a brighter future for all. Thank you. Each week, we ring this chime in solidarity with people around the world. Today, I am particularly mindful of immigrants at the border and across our country. As we listen to the chime, let us remember our connection to each other and the world around us. Let us hold in our hearts all that hurts in the world. And let us commit ourselves to all that calls for our work and our love. I invite you now into a time of meditation. Settle into your seat, get comfortable, close your eyes or soften your gaze, and begin with a slow, deep breath. Begin by checking in noticing the physical sensations that are present in the home of your body. Settle into the awareness of whatever emotions might be present. Then gently become aware of your body breathing in and out 
There's no need to manipulate it or change it in any way. Just become aware of your body breathing. Then shift your attention to your seat. Feel the connection of your body on the chair, the chair's connection to the floor, the way the floor is connected to the earth, and the way that expands out into the world and the community beyond. Feel the sense of being held by the earth below you. And allow yourself to be held by the earth. Here, in the home of your body, held by this earthly home. Ask yourself, what else do I need to arrive here? What else do I need to feel at home? Feel the way the earth rises up to hold and embrace you. There's nothing more you need to do. Nowhere you have to go. No one you have to be. Just held here in this home. Reflect on how the earth holds all beings, our bodies, the earth, the sun, the stars, all composed of the same matter, the same basic particles joined together in different ways. Allow that to bring a sense of belonging and connection. And then return to your breath, in and out, feeling the connection and interconnection at home in your being. Resting here connected. They sent one away just yesterday morning Asylum denied, the judge's case closed. They're flying him back to his unhappy country. I wish I could see him just one more time. Goodbye to my Juan, goodbye Rosalita. Adios mis amigos, Jesus y Maria. You wanna have a name? When you ride a big airplane And all they will call you will be Deportee 
died in your hills, we died in your desert, died in your valleys, died in your plains. We died from your bombs and we died from your bullets. Both eyes of the river, we die just the same. Goodbye to my Juan, goodbye Rosalita, adios mis amigos, Jesus y Maria. You won't have a name when you ride a big airplane, and all they will call you will be deportee. How many now have been sent back to suffer? How many more will be sent back to die? Who are all these friends, Oscar and I dry live? The radio says they are just deported. Goodbye to my Juan, goodbye Rosalita. Adios mis amigos, Jesus y Maria. You wanna have a name when you ride a big airplane. Thank you so much, Lilo, for that uh, heartbreaking and beautiful piece. And thank you, Laura, for that meditation as well. We are this month exploring the theme of belonging from a number of different angles as we usually explore things here. Last week, we had the opportunity to hear from three West members um, who were speaking about their different experiences of gender, gender identity, gender expression, and simply gender writ large. And if you haven't had a chance to see that, the, the link is in the West members Facebook group. Um, I, I encourage you to take a look at it. It was very powerful. Um, next week, we'll actually hear our first platform from Laura, our intern. I'm very excited about that. I hope that you'll come out to support her and to hear her. And then the last Sunday of October, um, Jay Hooper, an ethical culture leader in training who many of us know, um, is uh, going to be joining us for a kind of experiential building of a community of belonging here uh, while we are here. I think that'll be wonderful and fabulous as as things generally are with Jay. So I'm looking forward to that and hope to see you there as well. Today, I wanted to think about the idea of belonging somewhere, belonging in a home. And I love the way we began with Laura's meditation, thinking about our bodies as our homes. Of course, sometimes our bodies don't feel very home-like or they feel like maybe we got the wrong furniture in, right? rugs are mismatched, you know, but, but being able to access that sense that even in achy or difficult times, our body serves as our home, 
here connected with the larger home of this space, this building, this city, this country, and this world. I think a lot about what home is for me and sort of where I come from. I've been living in the D.C. area, the greater D.C. area now for over 18 years, um, which is almost half of my adult life. And it's the longest I've ever lived anywhere. And um, I'm still not sure I would say I'm from D.C., if you ask me. And in fact, people do often ask. It's a pretty regular thing in the D.C. area especially, which is such a transient community. People from all over the country and from all over the world, as well as folks who have roots in D.C. generations and generations back, right, who are homegrown D.C. residents. That little question, where are you from? You know, that question, depending on how it's said and how often it's asked and, um, and the systemic experience in the world of the person being asked, that question has the capacity both to be a question of connection and inclusion, a question that seeks to know more about our own stories, and also sometimes, especially when it's repeated, right? Now, where are you really from? <laughs> it becomes a question of exclusion, a question that implies you're not from here. You don't belong. What happens if we ask that question of ourselves? Where am I from? What do I call home? Where do I truly belong? And how does my own experience as an American citizen, as someone born in America, affect how I answer that question? Like many white people in America, I have an interest in my ancestry going back multiple generations. Um, I have ancestors from all over Europe, really, England and Scotland, Ireland, both the Protestants and the Catholics. We wanted to make sure we had it covered. Um, Germany, German Jews, which is different. Russian Jews, the Russian Jews who adopted German names because that was fancier family in Denmark, and either Minsk or Pinsk, we never remember which one. I've even done that little spit thing with Ancestry.com to try to find out my stories more deeply. Somewhat disappointingly, the, um, my DNA confirmed exactly the stories that we had from our family. I could trace right where we thought we were from. That seems to be right. I am so aware as I engage with those explorations about the generations back, about my ancestry outside of United States borders, that I have the privilege of doing so in essentially an academic way, a curious way. Oh, how interesting. Where were my people from? Where did they belong? Within the comfort and the security of American citizenship, I have the ability to explore different cultures and different countries to imagine what life was like. There's an industry, really, around tracing our roots, Ancestry.com and 23andMe, all the little vials collecting our saliva if we send them our $100. 
as well as places like the Tenement Museum. I went recently to New York City over the summer with my family and got to visit the Tenement Museum, which is in the Lower East Side, and offers tours of buildings right on the block um, and um, experiences with historical families who lived in those buildings over multiple different generations, waves of immigrants from different countries that came into those few blocks on the Lower East Side. The Tenement Museum is clear in its alliance with today's immigrants. It makes the connections between the experiences of immigrants in the United States in the late 19th and early 20th centuries with the experiences today, the way that America has, as the phrase goes, always been a nation of immigrants. A nation of immigrants. I am hearing that phrase all the time. I suspect you are as well, and I have used it myself. And I think that it is an understandable phrase and, and one that is well-intentioned, that seeks to point out the way that my ancestors' experiences are not so different from the experiences of immigrants coming into the United States today, that reminds us that, that my family was in that same place a few generations back. And yet I think it is a problematic way of describing our country. On the one hand, it, it does help with that sense of connection, the forming of this country, this place, through waves and waves of immigration. On the other hand, it erases completely the experience of Native Americans, people indigenous to this country at the time of colonization, as well as the millions of people brought enslaved to this country, not choosing to be here, not looking for a different life, as the story goes. Some of you may have uh, followed that the District of Columbia has recently chosen to take Columbus Day, which would fall tomorrow, and turned it into Indigenous People's Day. It's joined six states and at least about 130 towns and cities in doing that. And, um, and, and I think it's so good, the power of that renaming in helping us to tell a truer story about our country and who has lived here, who has been part of this land. I don't know if you tracked this, but as I went a little bit deeper on that headline about Indigenous Peoples Day in D.C., I saw that actually it's temporary emergency legislation. Council Member Grasso um, uh, put it forward and the council uh, voted on it. Not everybody voted for it, but enough did that it passed. But it will expire uh, in October of 2020 unless permanent legislation is put in place and it'll go right back to Columbus Day. Apparently, Councilmember Grasso has actually tried to get permanent legislation through um, for five years. Isn't it interesting the power of naming and renaming who we are, of telling the story of our country in the truest and fullest way we can. And so I avoid the idea of a nation of immigrants to try to tell the broader story. And 
on another level, on what I think is actually almost a deeper level, if we think beyond this country and borders that we know now, we are truly all immigrants, all migrants. Through human history, people have moved around the globe as they needed to. Moshin Hamid wrote recently in a special issue of National Geographic that was around immigration and migration in human history and now. He wrote, ours is a migratory species. Humans have always moved, our ancestors did, and not linearly like an army advancing out of Africa in a series of bold thrusts, but circuitously, sometimes in one direction, then in another, born along by currents both without and within. Our contemporaries, he writes, are moving, above all from the countryside to the cities of Asia and Africa. And our descendants will move too. They will move as the climate changes, as sea levels rise, as wars are fought, as one mode of economic activity dies out and give way, gives way to another. Hamid asks us in this essay to see human beings as at their very core, in their essence, migratory beings. Beings that move through space and through time, from childhood to adulthood, always moving around the globe and through our lives in epic waves as well as fits and starts. I think this idea of humans as essentially migratory ties into our sense of belonging, our desire, again, through human history, to create home, to create a sense of being of this place, of these people, to create around ourselves bonds and roots even while we travel and move around the globe. It's an impulse, this rootedness that can lead us to form relationships and to expand our circles of love to bring in yet more people as we move and as they move, as bodies move through space around the globe. And it's also an impulse that can lead us to build walls, to say that somehow our sense of identity is threatened when it is expanded. The history of the United States post-colonization has, I think, been a little bit of both. Both a celebration of multiculturalism and relationship, like the Silver Spring Thanksgiving Parade that has five Bolivian dance troops and a Jamaican steel band, and also a constant conversation about who belongs a conversation about whiteness and who counts, whiteness, that wall-creating concept, about who counts as American enough, about who is allowed to be here. As someone who lives still within the same country and relatively the same culture, more or less, as my birth, I am missing the experience of uprootedness and new-rootedness within the immigrant experience. And so I asked a couple of West members, members of this community, if they would share their own experiences and reflections on immigration. 
And I have two I'd like to share with you this morning, just as they shared them with me. The first is from Rima Azim. She writes, My parents left Algeria for France because of the Civil War in the mid-90s. In comparison to our experience in France, my immigrant experience in the U.S. was much easier. To list a few reasons. Unlike France, the U.S. is a country of immigrants, or so I thought, and has no bitter history with Algeria. The silver lining, she says, of most people in the U.S. not being able to place Algeria on a map is that they have few expectations put upon someone from there. So I could be myself, and my experience as an immigrant with a non-European name is shared by many. I came in my early 20s unencumbered by debts or responsibilities and armed with a science degree in a booming field. Whether it's school or work, the norm in my field is to be an immigrant. Three. I was literally very lucky to win the green card lottery, she writes. Unlike my parents, I never had a period in between visas, didn't have to worry about renewing my visa or losing my job if I didn't have one. So my only claim to hardship, if you can call it that, is that in the U.S. I had to apply myself to improve my spoken and written English to increase my marketability. I fell in love with the U.S., Rima writes. It's optimism, it's youth and multiculturalism. This is my home. I am a U.S. citizen, and this is the native country of my husband and children. I am old enough now to have lived longer in the U.S. than any other country. When I think of Americans, I think we, not them. And yet, when that, whether I am attending the PTA meeting, chatting with a neighbor or a colleague, trying to understand food tastes or eating habits or jokes, I often feel out of step not fully getting all the layers and with many blind spots. The thing is, I feel often Algeria and France as well. So the beauty of being an immigrant is that whether by choice or necessity, you experience more than one culture in a deeper way. And with that comes an expansion of horizon. The curse is that this usually comes with a culture shock. And by being a hybrid, you don't fit in or get deep enough here or there which can feel like a struggle. What I learned at WES is that you don't have to be an immigrant to feel like a misfit. In fact, I love the way she wrote this, sometimes I feel that WES is a community of misfits from somewhere else, and I mean that in the best possible way. In that way, I fully belong. I loved the way that Rima described the experience of an immigrant never fully getting all the jokes and the food tastes here in the United States, but no longer feeling fully present, fully part of France or Algeria. Andrea Naranjo, another West member, shares a similar experience. I first came to the United States when I was 17 years old as a Rotary Exchange student, she writes. I lived one year in Hilton Head, where most of the students treated me as an outsider. At that time, the Hispanic population in Hilton Head was increasing. That year, I learned to be proud of my roots and to share and spread the knowledge of my culture. In college, most of my friends were from other countries, and I was exposed to so many cultures and religions. There, I learned to embrace our differences. 
Now, after 20 years in this country, people still ask me where I am from. My accent tells I am not from the United States. However, now I also get asked where I am from when I go back to Ecuador. I guess my accent will always let people know I am an immigrant, and I embrace this identity. My experience as an immigrant has shaped who I am. I can't envision a life in which my family never left Ecuador. I have formed a beautiful home, and I'm part of a community where I feel like I belong. Both Rima and Andrea's words speak, I think, to the both and and the neither nor of the immigrant experience. I once had an immigrant describe it to me this way. He said it felt like he always had two suitcases, one packed with things from home for when he went back and one packed with things for here in America. And he could never fully unpack either of them. That experience being betwixt and between, that experience of loss and beauty, as Andrea put it, the experience of identity as an immigrant. These stories from Rima and from Andrea, these are the lucky stories, the regular experience of loss and beauty, connection and disconnection. The experience of any migrant or immigrant or expat. I looked up, um, went down a little rabbit hole while I was preparing for this platform about the difference between immigrants and expats. I did find one suggestion that expats were planning to return to the country of their birth, whereas immigrants were planning to stay in the new country, though that is not actually consistent with my experience of people called immigrants and people called expats. And I think far more likely is the reality that expats have either and or whiteness and or money, right? What happens in our capitalist society is that we imagine that people with resources should be able to freely move around the globe, and people without resources shouldn't. We even give them different names when they travel and move to other countries. I was thinking about that recently as I went to the DMV to get my real ID. I don't know how many of you have made that trek yet. It was easier than I expected it would be because I have all the documentation readily available. Real IDs by October 2020 will be required to fly on an airplane. You won't need one just in your regular life as I understand it, but to get on a plane, you will another way of limiting how we move in the world. And we are indeed moving in the world right now. America is experiencing a significant wave of immigration from Central America, the United States is, but it is not just here in the United States. Paul Salopek, again in National Geographic, writes, the United Nations estimates that more than a billion people, one in seven humans alive today, are voting with their feet, migrating within their countries or across international borders. Millions are fleeing violence, war, persecution, criminality, political chaos. 
The roots of this colossal new exodus include a globalized market system that tears apart social safety nets, a pollutant warped culture, climate, and human yearnings supercharged by instant media. In sheer numbers, Salapek writes, this is the largest diaspora in the long history of our species. All around the globe, people are moving, and they are moving here in the United States as well, coming in from Central America, most specifically from the countries where in the 1970s and 80s, US foreign policy supported right-wing dictatorships and death squads, leaving countries that are deeply unsafe. For an excellent look into the ties between US policy and the countries from which people are currently migrating to the United States from Central America, I encourage you to watch the film Harvest of Empire, which shows that connection incredibly well. If Rima and Andrea shared relatively lucky stories of immigration, these are some of the harder ones. I think sometimes about Maslow's hierarchy of needs, you know, that pyramid, where you can't even get to worrying about whether you feel like you are welcomed or belong when you are insecure of housing, of food, of personal safety. And yet that experience of belonging and welcome is still deserved and important. And we, those of us with secure citizenship or resident status, have the capacity to make a difference. Ross Wells, who lit our candle this morning, is part of the immigration support team here at WES. And um, he shared with me a couple of the harder stories of immigration that he has seen as part of that work. One of the things that our immigration support team and many other folks have gone to do is um, to meet Greyhound buses as they come full of asylum seekers, folks who have been um, allowed into the building and will be waiting their asylum cases, which are months or sometimes years later, depending on the backlog in the system. Um, folks are uh, led into the country and then put on Greyhound buses off to meet up with relatives hopefully, or simply to a destination. Almost always, those folks have nothing with them. And so Wes was part of an effort to create some kits to offer to people coming off the Greyhound bus in Silver Spring, things like toiletries, warm socks, stuffed animals for the children. Ross tells about his friend Carol, who went to help out. She had been studying Spanish and wanted to do something. And so there she arrived. Um, in Silver Spring to greet people as they came off the bus to offer them the kits as well as contacts for social services. A man on one of the buses that had come from El Paso, so take a moment to think about a bus ride from El Paso to Silver Spring, came off the bus and uh, was meeting relatives but was um, in such bad shape medically he was unable to walk. 
And so Carol, um, the woman who was there uh, helping, said, you have to take him to a hospital immediately. He's not well. Um, and the relative said, we can't afford to. We have been to an ER before. We had a $10,000 uh, bill. Um, we paid it, but we don't have any more money to be able to do that. Carol called a doctor who worked at a clinic. The clinic had an uh, arrangement with Sibley Hospital um, where just a few people a month, a few cases a month, were allowed to come in without insurance. And so ultimately the man was taken to the ER and then to Sibley. He had sepsis and was within a short time period of death. He stayed at Sibley for two weeks and was discharged to join his relatives. An unlucky and lucky story. Ross shared another story, one that hits close to home for those of us in the West community. As many of you know, we have a partner community in El Salvador, El Rodeo, um, where a delegation of West folks goes every summer. And when we're able, we bring some of them here to be with us. They come and visit us here. Um, one of the um, members of that community has come to America seeking asylum. Uh, he is part of a small police unit. MS-13, the gang, um, has vowed to kill him if he returns to El Salvador. As Ross describes, under Sessions guidelines, Attorney General Sessions guidelines, immigration court judges are not allowed to consider threats from gangs or spousal abuse as being sufficient to grant asylum. Two of the four police officers in the police unit that Carlos is part of have already been murdered. A third is either in hiding or has been disappeared. Those facts are irrelevant to Carlos's bid for asylum in the United States. He didn't come here because he wanted a different life in the United States. In fact, he would rather have stayed in El Salvador. An unlucky immigration story. So many immigrants today, particularly those at our southern border, are here because they are seeking respite from violence, from death, disease, whether from civil unrest or war, violence associated with one's identity, like LGBTQ immigrants, or simply poverty. Questions about where they feel they most belong, where they find home, maybe luxuries they cannot afford, but which are still deeply important. And those of us here, those of us with the privilege and resources of secure citizenship status or resident status in the United States can support both the immediate needs and the deeper sense of belonging and welcome. This country feels like a scary place right now. Just on Tuesday, I was outside the Supreme Court building as they began to hear a case around LGBTQ protections in the workplace. We won't know that decision until June, and my presence there, though one of solidarity and support, is unlikely to change the outcome. It can be difficult to know what we can do 
to make a difference in these times. Acting in solidarity with following the leadership of and supporting our immigrant neighbors, family members, and friends is a way we can make an impact immediately, right now. The immigration support team is holding a conversation after platform, and they can tell you about some of what they have been doing supporting Rosa, a woman who is in sanctuary at Cedar Lane UU Congregation, going along to ICE check-ins and deportation hearings, opposing youth detention centers in DC, supporting the Congregation Action Network, our Share the Plate recipient for this month, and providing short-term legal hospitality for asylum seekers in this country. We talk in our statement of purpose about working for a world where love and justice cross all borders. We don't necessarily all in this community agree on the specifics of immigration policy. We have those among us who believe there should be no borders at all, some who believe there should be borders but no quotas, others that think the laws simply need to be changed and improved, the backlogs removed. But we do agree on the worth of every person the belonging of every human on this planet. If we think about immigration and migration of the movement of people as not just about the country's borders we find ourselves within now, but rather about a human being, movement at our essence, we begin to see immigration in a different light. The Universal Declaration of Human Rights from the United Nations begins, every person is born free and equal in rights and dignity. Everyone has the right to life, liberty, and security of person. In this context, in the context of humans on a globe, Humans with a history of moving in epic waves and in fits and starts. Immigration is much less about one nation's policy and much more about human need and human connection. I think that Maya Angelou put it right. You are only free, she wrote, when you realize you belong no place, you belong every place. Esta tierra es tuya, esta tierra es mía, desde California hasta Nueva York. Desde los bosques hasta los mares, esta tierra es tuya y mía también. This land is your land, this land is mine, from California to New York Island, from the Red Forest to the Lost I was walking the river no high. 
esta tierra es tuya, esta tierra es mía, desde California hasta Nueva York, desde los bosques hasta los mares, esta tierra es tuya y mía también, this land is your land, this land is my land, California.